You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, DC, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Well, where I grew up, I lived on a cul-de-sac and on weekends and such, all the kids from the block would gather around and we played a lot of kickball. But I'll never forget the day our lives were changed. Uh, A stranger appeared among us. Uh, He was a child about our age. He was sitting on the back of a pickup truck, presumably drive by his dad, who was a repairman working on a house in the area. And as we were playing kickball, we saw this kid sitting on the back of the truck and somebody felt compassion I like to think it was me, but I'm I'm not sure, uh, and thought we should invite him to play in this game, right? And so we thought, yeah, that would be the polite thing to do, invite this kid to join us. But then that compassion met up with our competitiveness of going, yeah, but how good is he? Because someone's going to be stuck with him. So as we approached him, we asked those two questions. Would you like to play? And when he said yes, it was immediately followed by the natural question you would ask. How far can you kick a kickball? And I remember as we said that to him, he looked across the cul-de-sac and then he pointed and went above those trees. Now, the farthest anyone had ever kicked a kickball was to the end of the street. So when this kid, Babe Ruth, points at the ceiling, no one was like, wow, really? How about that? We were all like, what? Oh my gosh, that's the stupidest thing I'd ever heard. No one was in awe. If anything, there was maybe sight concern for his sanity. But most of them were gravely disappointed and they were like, all right, well, you're stuck with him. Go ahead, hero. And so this kid steps out after this big statement and he lines up to kick the ball. And I'll never forget as they rolled that ball to him, he took a step and he kicked that ball. And it not only went over the trees, it sailed over the houses behind the trees and landed on the other street. We had to climb fences to go find it. And our lives were changed that day. Kickball was never the same. And I remember as we watched that kid just kind of jog from base to base, we began to whisper among ourselves, who is this man that can do this to a kickball? Now, why am I telling you this? Because we've been in this series of Mark looking at the person of Jesus Christ. And last week, we got to a speaking moment of Jesus where he is talking to his people. And if you recall, uh, Jesus was telling them the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God was something that there was expectation for in the Old Testament in your Bible. So the secret of the kingdom was not that the kingdom's a secret. It wasn't. People were expecting that God one day would break into history and send a hero, a king, the Messiah. And he would come riding in and he would end injustice, end uh, oppression, and he would bring peace and establish righteousness for his people. And they were waiting for God to break in and usher in a kingdom. And when Jesus showed up, he began to preach, the kingdom of God is at hand. That moment is here because the king is here. And people began to gather around him and take interest in him. I wanted to hear more about him. And then when he got critical mass last week, he gave a speech. He began to talk and he said, hey, three out of four of y'all are not going to be on board with this. But the kingdom is not like a military coup. It's actually like a mustard seed. That all those promises in the Old Testament will come true, but but I'm going to come small and humble and get planted in the dirt and you can't even see it. But then eventually it'll become a big tree and birds will rest in it. And most of the crowd was like, What? Dude, we thought you were here to take over. 
And now you're giving this weird like bird speech and farming speech. And you can feel at the end of the passage, some concern. The disciples come up afterwards and go, what are you doing? They had all this expectation. What they got is confusion. And you get this tension of them going like, man, did we just bet on the wrong horse? Like, who is this guy? Like, what is he doing here? And in the midst of all that uncertainty about his proclamation of his kingdom, we're going to watch Jesus step up and kick that ball. And Mark will give us these moments of looking at what this man can do. And it's answering the question of, can we trust him? It's the same question all of us ask when we enter into a relationship. You start dating somebody, you're evaluating, can I trust you? As we're stepping deeper into intimacy, are you someone worthy of my trust? And Jesus is stepping forward and saying, I am your king. And for some of you, as you've shown up here in the last couple of weeks, you're like, you know, I know spirituality is important. Maybe I came here because I, I want to turn over a new leaf. I need some encouragement. These are difficult days. I need someone to pick me up. And we're like, yes. And that pickup is an allegiance to the person of Jesus Christ with your entire life. And you're sitting here going, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if I'm on for all that. There's some uncertainty about the level of commitment Jesus is asking for from you. And yet in this moment, we're going to watch him move. The time for talking's done. It's time for him to go to work. And in this section, what we're going to see are multiple moments. There's kind of three separate moments, and most preachers preach each of those moments in separate sermons. And there's a wisdom to that. But the reason I combined them all, I don't know if you caught it in the context, all that transpired that I just read happened on one crazy boat ride with Jesus. And as you follow this, Mark puts these stories together for a reason. They're going to show us the power of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus and the priorities of Jesus, why he is worthy of your trust and your life today. So as we look at the power of Jesus, it starts in verse 35. It says, on that day, what day? The same day he had just preached all these enigmatic parables in the midst of their uncertainty. On that same day, when evening had come, so night is falling, he says to them, let's go across to the other side. He'd been preaching from a boat, and he's like, let's just go ahead and cross this lake. And so the sermon's over. They push out, begin to, to row, and it says in verse 37, and a great windstorm arose. Now, that was common for that area. This, this sea of Galilee was surrounded by mountains, and so it was a basin surrounded by mountains. Winds could kind of sweep in. The last time I was there, that happened. I was out on a boat, and suddenly a storm came out of nowhere and drenched the area. But that one was relatively calm. This one, it says, was a great windstorm. And it says the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So it's a bad enough storm that it's swamping the boat. And it's windy and at night when there's no artificial light. So it's dark and they are sinking. And in the midst of that, verse 38 says about Jesus, but he was asleep on a cushion. So while the storm is arising, Jesus is sleeping. And then notice it rattles the pros. Some of these guys had fished on this lake their entire life. And so you realize they've been out on this lake, but they understand this is a different moment. I've suddenly become overwhelmed. This is beyond my capacities as a sailor and a fisherman. And so in their moment of panic, they wake Jesus and they say to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Notice what's certain in their statement and what's uncertain. What's certain is we are perishing. What's uncertain is, do you care? And if I can just pause and, and preach a little bit here. For many of us, that's exactly how that plays out. That, yeah, I trust God. Yeah, I'm a spiritual person. But as soon as we get some uncertainty, lack of control, and fear comes in, the fear becomes a certainty. Whether or not Jesus cares at all about me is what's up for debate. 
And here in this moment, they begin to panic and they ask him this question, do you care? They question his love when life gets out of control. Do you care? And then in verse 39, it says, he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. Now, this is kind of cool. Uh, in Greek, the languages originally, originally written in, there's two different words here that essentially mean be quiet. But the first one's in the present tense and the second one's in the perfect tense. Present tense means right now. Perfect tense of a verb means a completed action whose implications go on into the future. And so literally what he says here is be quiet and stay quiet, which is a weird thing to say to weather. And yet he does it and notice the verse says, and the wind ceased. Now that could have been a coincidence. Like, oh, he just happened to yell right when the storm was passing by. But Mark gets you past that and he says, and there was a great calm. That's not a coincidence. The waves would have still been rocking for hours later. That they're in the midst of a complete downpour, wind is whipping, boats swamping. They look over at Jesus. Do you even care? We're all going to die. Jesus stands up and goes, shut it. And it's dead calm. And the last thing he looks at his guys and goes, you still have no faith? Do you not know who you're dealing with yet? And goes back to sleep, right? And verse 41 says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? And then Mark ends the story. We move on. Mark ends with a question. Why does he do that? He does that because it's supposed to mess with you. That you're supposed to sit there and go, yeah, who is this? Who talks to nature like that? Rebukes it like a child. And then nature obeys. Who talks like that? Who does that? The question hangs out there for you to consider. And if you know your Bible, you know the answer. That in Psalm 89, verse 8 and 9, it says, Oh, Yahweh, the God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. There's only one person who can control the seas, and it's the person who made them. Only God can do that. This guy is taking divine prerogatives. This is Genesis 1 kind of stuff, where there was darkness over the face of the deep, that in the midst of dark and deep, God spoke and brought order out of chaos. Jesus is pulling off God kind of stuff. It's interesting, if you read 2 Maccabees, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, the emperor claimed to have power to calm the waves and the Jewish rabbi said, that's blasphemy. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And what Jesus does here is making a statement. The prerogatives of God are mine. I can do that. You just saw that. You are not dealing with a, a self-help guru or a life coach. I am something else entirely. And I love the way Tim Keller speaks about this. He says, notice he doesn't conjure. He doesn't pull out a wand. There's no magic spells. He doesn't even invoke a higher power than himself. He stands up and says to weather, stop it, shush, and it does. He has the power within himself. And I love what Keller says. He says, what that does is that removes the option from all of us of saying, well, you, you listen to Jesus if that works for you. I'm not really interested in following him. No, he just commanded reality. So that means he is the Lord over reality, whether you like it or not. 
It's not, well, you can follow him if you want, but I choose not to. It's like, no, he, he commands our story. That's the kind of king he is. He's the authority over reality. Whether we bow to him or not, he runs this place. And notice how that feels. I know for some of us, as soon as I say that, you don't like that. You're like, man, you did this a couple weeks ago. Where Jesus is your authority, whether you like it or not. I don't like those sermons. I don't like this. And some of that is because we don't like the idea of being out of control. And we really don't like somebody else being in control. But notice at the end of this sermon how the disciples respond. When he calms the storm, what do they do? Does it say they were comforted? Does it say they worshiped? Were they like, that Jesus, he took the wheel. He took it from my hand. Like, is that what he does? No, verse 41 says, and they were filled with great fear. They had fear earlier. Now they got great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the winds and seas obey him? The most out of control place you can be is in the darkness in a storm on the water. I have no control at all. You are making me face my vulnerability, right? Many of us, we like to have an illusion of control, right? And yet it doesn't take very much. You can just drive a bit west and you get out into the wild and you realize I am a very vulnerable being on the planet. And in the midst of that vulnerability, you go, there's so much that can hurt me that's out of my control. And yet there's one thing scarier than a storm that can kill you. It's a person who can control storms that can kill you. And they go, I can't control what's happening to me. I am fighting for control over my finances, my life, my health. I am desperately fighting for control. And yet here is a guy who controls everything that can control me. I heard an interviewer say it the other day. He's like, have you ever noticed that billionaires are obsessed with their health? He said, I think it's because that's the one area they can't buy is immortality. That they are instinctively aware of the thing I can't control and it keeps them up at night. And here the thing that dominates them does not dominate him. Jesus is the one in control. And for some of us, you just don't like that. You go, man, you keep, going, keep coming back to this and I don't like it. Jesus rules this place. He says, I have divine prerogatives. That's the power of Jesus. What God does, I do. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it's still true. That can terrify some of us, and many of us, if you've been hurt. That you go, I've been under the authority of somebody, and they abused me. They abused the privilege of that authority. The news is filled with people who take power and exploit it. They're meant to serve us and they use us. They're meant to help us and they hurt us. I've been under authority I don't trust. Don't tell me about some authority over me. I don't want it. But if before you resist the power of Jesus, you need to see the purpose of Jesus. What does he use that power for? And that's the next story. And you see in chapter five, verse one, it says they came to the other side of the sea. So they make it through the storm and they go to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, which is crazy, right? Uh, you think about it, if you were one of the disciples, the boat ride was gonna be the story. I and mean, when you got back home, you'd be like, get off that boat going, dude, that was nuts. That was crazy. You thought we were going to die. Yes, you did, Andrew. You were crying, Peter. You were crying. You're talking about that. And then all of a sudden, from out of the tombs, becomes a crazy, and the other gospels tell us, not only demon-possessed, but naked man. So you're stepping out of the boat like, dude, that was nuts. And suddenly, ah! Because life with Jesus is never boring. 
And so you think this is gonna be another setup for Jesus's power. Like, okay, Jesus has the Holy Spirit. This guy's got some unclean spirits. Let's go, pull out the lightsabers, let's rock. And yet what happens? As soon as you get into verse six, it says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down. In verse seven, crying out with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, don't torment me. And in verse 10, he begged earnestly, don't send me out of the country. So there, there's, no, there's no fight here. There's no yin and yang, good and evil, who's gonna win? No, no, no. Legions of demons fall on their face before the man who rules all things. It's not a debate here. Anything that terrifies us doesn't terrify him. And yet, Mark, who's not given to great detail, Mark is the shortest of all the gospels, gives us a lot of detail about this guy. And you realize the fight's not the story. This guy's situation is the story. And Mark slows down to tell you this moment that this guy's in. Did you notice he didn't say at the beginning that he had a, a demon necessarily. He said he had an unclean spirit. That word unclean means defiled. That, that something got into my life and it defiled me. It made me unclean. It violated me. And then Mark gives us all these words to describe the pathetic situation of this man. It says he lived among the tombs. That means he, he dwelt among dead things, outside of community and outside of life. He's isolated in his defilement. And no one could bind him, note the next word, anymore. That means they used to be able to. What does that mean? That means he got into some things that he maybe thought he could control and then found out they were controlling him. That he started to play with some things he thought he could handle, and now they are playing with him. And no one can bind him anymore. It's degenerated, not even with a chain. No one had the strength to subdue him. He is now out of control, and night and day, it's relentless among the tombs and on the mountains. He's always crying out. There is sadness, there is torment, there's no peace, there's no chaos, and he is cutting himself with stones. He's become self-destructive. What he thought would bring life has taken it all from him, has dehumanized him. And there's some element of this that could be a great metaphor for the Christian story, that all of us can relate to this. If you step back and look at the gospel, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins, far from who we're meant to be as men and women under God. And Jesus has to step in and rescue us from our sin. And that is true and that is accurate. That's the story of all of us. But some of you feel this way more than you even want to. Certainly more than you want to admit in a room like this. That you got into some things that you were curious about. You wanted that carnal knowledge. You wanted those experiences. You wanted to be in that crowd and you got onto some spaces online. You got into some relationships with, with a guy, with some girls. You just got into some spaces that you thought you were in control and now you're out of it. And what you thought would bring you life is now siphoning life from you. And you sit in the dark and you cry out among dead things and you are self-destructive. Here's my question. If we can be honest, if we can be a church that talks like this, like not just shine up and pretend like we're all fine, but actually come in in this moment, what does Jesus do with somebody like you? Does he use his power to destroy you? No. He takes all that power and he uses it to set that man free. 
Jesus' power is in service of his love. So if you're scared of his power, you need to know his purpose. Jesus isn't here to destroy us. He is here to set you free. No one can help this man, but the one who does shows up not to destroy, but to liberate. And he casts a legion of demons out of that man. And that's why I have hope over your life, no matter what you've been in. I have hope over this city. I have hope over this block. I have hope over this street. Why? Not because of what we can do, not because of the lighting package we bought, but because of the God we serve and the heart he has to set us free. And that's what he does. And let me tell you, some of you, what you need more than anything else today is you need to understand what Jesus Christ is bringing, that beautiful combination of power and love. It's meant to be displayed in fathers. If you go, why does God often present himself as a father, even though male and female are made in his image? Why does he grab that father imagery so much? I think it's because fathers are meant to show you a combination of power and love. Many of us didn't see that presented to us. And so we recoil at power and don't trust love. But if you can understand power and love, there's no safer place to live than under a king like that. So I remember my dad uh, was a very fit guy. As a kid, we used to play this game called punch dad in the stomach as hard as you can. And uh, he would tighten up his abs and be like, all right, and we'd just go, and it would always like just bend our wrists and we'd be like, oh gosh. And dad would laugh while we were in pain. And you're like, he's a piece of iron. And then we had this other game where dad would, uh, it was called uh, throw the child in the air as high as you can. And uh, I didn't like that game because we were just up there too long. It was just too long. You'd be up there and you'd be like, ah. Uh, you should have brought something to do. It was just very uncomfortable. But I remember one day, and I've told you this before, church, uh, we were out playing kickball on the streets and uh, I went inside to get a drink of water and I came back out and the game's over and all the kids are in my yard. I was like, what are y'all doing? And they were like, man, we were playing kickball. I'm like, yeah, I know, I was there. And they're like, oh man. And then he came out and I knew who they were talking about. There was this guy down the street that was a bully, he was mean, he was an adult. And he was like, he wanted to set up some deal party out in the cul-de-sac with his friends so he told us all to get lost. And we're like, we're in the middle of the game. So he just ran out and picked up our ball, threw it in his trunk, shut the door. Like, what are y'all gonna do? And he began to make fun of us. And to me, I'm like, this is still not new information. This is what that guy always did. He was always like that. And he was bigger than us. He was an adult. He would always dominate us and with his power, shame us to get what he wanted. That was always that guy. And so I'm like, why are you telling me this? And they were like, man. But what happened today was your dad was coming home and your dad saw him and your dad parked and got out of the car and he started walking towards that man. And they said veins started popping out and your dad in places I'd never seen him. And my dad's not a screamer. And they said he didn't yell then, but he just walked up on this man. And even as he walked up, this guy began to melt under the trunk of the car. And my dad said something like, you leave these kids alone. And by the end of it, this guy pops the trunk, gives him the ball. He's like, I'm sorry, kids. I apologize. Here's some money. I love you. He's like, Ben, it was the craziest thing that the thing that dominated us was powerless before the power of your dad. I got to tell you, there was something that does to a kid's heart to be like, that's my guy. That's my dad. And the thing that dominates me doesn't dominate him. And I got to tell you, the rest of my childhood, 
Uh, I never even had to enter the chat as the conversations would break out about whose dad could beat up whose dad. It was the funniest thing because guys would be like, well, my, but look, we all know Ben's dad would win. I'm submitting my dad is number two for the following reasons. And on it would go. And I got to tell you something. There's a peace beyond understanding when you know, hey, life's hard. But the one who has the power cares about me. And what you see in Jesus is they're uncertain about him. His stories don't fully make sense, but there's a high commitment to him. I'm supposed to trust you with my life. Do I trust you? And then you see, yeah, because I run this place, whether you're on board with that or not, it's still true. But look at how I use my power. It's in service of my love. And you see the power of Jesus over all things serve the purpose of Jesus to love us and to set you free. So I don't know what it is that you're bound up by and you're hoping to get a couple happy steps here. I don't have a lot of steps for you today, but I have the power of God and the person of Jesus Christ that can change you from the inside out. That's what we believe in here. That's what's true. That's who he is. I got to tell you, I just love one of my favorite moments in the sermon is when the people come back and they see Jesus and then they see that guy seated, clothed in his right mind. And then they were afraid that they knew that guy. Don't go into the hills, kids. Stay away from the tombs. Why? Bobby's up there and he's insane, right? But then they hear all their pigs are dead and they show up and they're like, ah, is that you, Bobby? They've never seen him with clothes on. Like, hey guys, it's the craziest thing. And uh, some of you are gonna be that in your family. You're going to come home and be like, I got religion. They're like, okay. And then in six months, they're going to see you seated, clothed in your right mind. You just, you're not the same person, not in the same place. God begins to restore things that were broken. He begins to set you free from some things you never thought you'd be free of. God begins to work on you. And you're going to go, you know what? I just, they're going to be doubtful, curious, afraid, and then hopefully have the faith. I remember for me when I was in high school, there was this kid that, Man, he was terrifying. He was, I, I remember uh, my uh, senior year, he was in our grade, but he had been a senior many, many times. And it was like, oh, okay. But I remember he'd walk down the hall and he wore like, like chains and, and always shirts with graphics with like skulls bleeding and such. And uh, he would just walk down the hall like this. And I saw him do this. You think this is just in movies. There was like this little freshman kid that wandered into his path and he just went, oh, and picked the kid up and threw him in a trash can and kept going. You're like, ah, it's like such unnecessary violence. Uh, and I'll never forget, uh, I was with my cute little Christian friends and our cute little Christian club and our cute little Christian leader invited us to a cute little Christian concert. And so we told all our cute little Christian friends to get our cute little Christian tickets and we went down to the Christian little concert to watch some Christian music and have a good time. And you would be shocked to see as I walked in the door, he's standing there. And I'm like, we do, man. Like, are you lost? Like, you need some help or something? Like, you need some directions? Like, what are you doing here? And he came up to me and said hi, and I didn't know he knew my name. He was like, hey, Ben. I'm like, hey. <laughs> you know, and uh, he was like, hey, man. I didn't even know stuff like this exists. He's like, this is so cool. And he pointed to the guy who invited me. He's like, hey, man, we've been sitting, talking. He's been telling me about God, and that I can talk to him, and I'm just, uh, I'm just so glad to be here. And I remember for me as like a teenage kid just realizing like, I thought this dude was unreachable. And you go, he's bigger than you, Ben, but he's not bigger than your king. And here God takes this man who's broken and heals him. Takes a man who's among the dead things and brings him life and brings him society and culture and family and home. Guy wants to roll with him and Jesus says, no, you got a mission to go tell the people that know you 
what God's done for you, that I am strong and that I am loving. Now, I know some of you hear this and you go, well, Ben, that's a great story. God can set you free. God can solve your problems. God can take the storms out of your life and take the sin out of your heart. And God can do all this stuff. Yay, God. Well, how come he didn't do it for me then? And let's just be real about that. For some of us, you had a great story, but I got problems I told him about and he didn't solve them. I got some issues I've been asking him about for a long time and, and he's not resolved those. So what do you have for me? And I want to look at this last moment at the priorities of Jesus. And you see in verse 21, and Jesus crossed again to the boat on the other side. Again, this is just one wild ride with Jesus. And they go back to the other side and a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. On that side, demon-possessed, naked, crazy guy falls at Jesus' feet. On this side, wealthy, successful, respected synagogue reader falls at Jesus' feet because everybody asked him. And yet this guy comes and he's got a situation. And he says, I think the most heartbreaking combination of words that a human being can say. He says, he implored him saying, my little daughter, little daughter is at the point of death. She's right there, man. And he says, come lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. So this man has faith or some kind of faith. Like You can do things others can't. If you could come and put your hand on her, she could live. And then it says, and he went with him. Jesus is like, I'm going to go. But then a great crowd followed and thronged about him, as verse, verse 4 says. And so then you go, okay, that's the drama of the story. Now I got the story. That's what this episode is about. This guy comes to Jesus. And was like, my daughter's at the point of death, but if you can put your hand on her, you can save her. And Jesus says, I'll go. And they start to go, but the crowd's push around. And it's like, oh no, can we get there in time? Everybody move. There's a daughter at stake. And suddenly this is all dangerous. And then Mark suddenly downshifts and starts giving us the extended medical history of a woman in the crowd. Oh, but there's one lady there. And she had this issue of blood for like 12 years. And it wouldn't go away. And she went to many physicians, suffered, didn't get better, got worse, spent all the money she had. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Sad, but what are you doing? And she thought, if I could just touch his garment, I'll be made well. You're like, fine, okay, then touch and go, move. Like she's at the point of death. You've been dealing with this for 12 years. Give it a minute, wait a beat. If you're gonna touch him, do it from behind. Just get out of the way. And so here she comes up and she touches him and immediately she feels my body's healed. Yay, Jesus, yay, girl, got your problem solved. That's great. But then you get verse 32. Excuse me, verse uh, 31. No, verse 30, sorry. And Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out of him and immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? So my daughter's about to die. She touched me made well. Okay, let's go. Ah, this is a crowd. Ah, yeah. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Some, somebody touched me. Somebody touched me. And then it says, and the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you? And you're asking who touched me? And then look at verse 32. And he looked around to see who had done it. Thronged with the crowd. Well, hold on, please. Some, somebody touched me. Jesus, what are you doing? Like, there's a lot of touching. He's like, no, 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 no. Somebody, somebody, somebody touched, somebody touched me. And we're not going anywhere till we figure this out. How do you feel if you're Jairus? 
my daughter's at the point of death. I see the boat coming and I just go sprinting down to the shoreline. And before he gets out of the boat, I'm falling on the ground. All my pride is gone. And I'm like, will you please come help my little girl? And he's like, well, hang on here. And you're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is bad triage. She's dealt with this for 12 years. She can wait a minute. My little girl's at the point of death. Like, why are you doing it? Nobody wants this. Jarius doesn't want this. We need to go. She doesn't want this. She wanted to touch and go. Just touch and go. Jesus is the only one who wants this. Why is he like this? But the woman, knowing what happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She realizes nobody's getting out of here until someone talks to him. And like everyone in this moment, she's afraid. And she comes and she tells him the whole truth. And then look at verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, be healed of your disease. Why was that moment so important to him? It's not to tell her, hey, you just got healed. Mark told us she already knew that. So, so that was unnecessary information to communicate. Why this moment? It's the first part. That she just needed a little bit of spiritual something to solve a problem and maybe have some sort of mysticism version of spirituality. And he has to stop her and go, no, 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 no. Daughter, it's your faith in me that made you well. What's the priority of Jesus? Hey, what matters in this moment is you trusting me. Because I got power over the storms of life. And my purpose is to set people free. But my priority is I want you to trust me. I'm not just here to solve problems, although I can do that. I am here because you need to trust me with your whole life. And when he feels that faith, I got to affirm it. What matters in this moment is you trusting me. Sermons come to Jarius. You don't need to bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. How's that feel? Jesus, you didn't come through for me. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, believe. What does Jesus ask of Jairus? I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me when there's a little bit of hope. And I want you to trust me when all your hope is gone. I don't want you to be scared. I want you to trust me. Even in the face of death. Remember, this guy had some faith. But Jesus is asking for another level of faith. No, I want you to trust me, believe. Why would he do this? Why is he doing this? Because when you come to Jesus, he may not immediately solve all your problems. His main priority is not to serve you as you set the agenda. He's building a kingdom. And that kingdom is one where you benefit, but he is using his power and service of his love to set you free. But his priorities are, I want you to trust me and roll with me. And as you trust him, you will get more than you bargained for. You'll get what you need, not just what you want. This woman just wanted the blood to dry up. What she got was an audience with the king. She got Jesus Christ to look her in the eye and call her daughter. 
that's better. That's better. Jairus wanted healing. Jesus did a lot of healing. I want to see some of this healing coming. I got faith for that. And Jesus is like, yeah, but I want you to see me do something people haven't seen yet. I want you to see me raise the dead. That I don't just have power over sickness. I got power over death itself. Jairus, I want to take you to another level, but I need you to trust me. So he let no one else in the room. People are already weeping and wailing. And he tells them, why are you crying? She's not dead, she's sleeping. And they laugh at him. This whole thing's ridiculous. And he's like, all right, well, then y'all get out. No faith, no access, beat it. And he brings in the mom and dad and his disciples. In verse 41, he says, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi. That's Aramaic. That's the language Jesus spoke. Most people didn't in Roman society. That's why Mark has to say it. Because Mark was writing to Gentiles, the ethnos, people of a variety of ethnic backgrounds who don't speak Aramaic. But he wanted you to, he just wanted you to hear how it sounded. And he was speaking another language and he said, Talithakumi. And here's what that means for all of us who maybe don't have the background to know all that. What it means is little girl. And I just think some of you, you maybe don't have all the religious language, you don't know all the spiritual rules, and that's really fine. You maybe know enough to know you don't run the universe. For some of us, that would be a big step in Washington, D.C., to be like, I don't know. It's crazy. There are powers outside of our control, but they're not outside of his. And Jesus Christ has the divine prerogatives of God, and yet he uses it not for his own comfort, but he uses it in service of love to set us free. And my hope is some of you walk out here with some hope today that you are not bound and you are not too far gone. I don't care if you got a legion of problems in you. They are not stronger than him. And yet, what does he want from you? He wants you to trust him. So you might've come here to solve a problem and there's nothing wrong with that. And he doesn't judge that. But he says, but beyond just your surface level presenting problems, there's deeper issues. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust that I'm the healer, but I'm also a father that wants to call you daughter. I want to give you a new name, not just a solution to a problem, but a new identity. That I'm not just someone who can manage your life for you. I want to offer you life beyond the grave. That's who I am. That's the kind of king we're talking about here. Who is this Jesus? He is worthy of your trust. And the questions that are left at the end of this session are, do you believe he's powerful enough to deal with what it is that's dealing with you? Do you believe he's loving enough to want to? And do you believe he's wise enough to know when and how? That's the question. Is he strong enough to deal with the storms of your life? Is he loving enough to care even when you're perishing? And is he wise enough to know when and how to heal you? I believe he's worthy of it. Mark shows us this is the king that rules all things. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thank you for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.